Communism. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Rise to Liberty podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I would like to remind you to like, share, follow, subscribe, rate, and review. It really, really helps the show. So I'm going to just jump straight in. Obviously, by the start of this, I think you know where I'm heading. Uh, Marxism, communism, Leninism, Maoism, all supposedly different. Let's throw socialism in there. Everything I understand from these ideologies, very minuscule differences they there practically are no differences just in case you are unfamiliar with the tenets of marxism i'm going to read the 10 points one abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes two a heavy progressive or graduated income tax three abolition of all right of inheritance four Confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. 5. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. 6. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. 7. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state, the bringing into cultivation of wastelands, and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. 8. Equal liability of all to labor. Establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. 9. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries. Gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country. 9. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries. Gradual abolition of of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the population over the country. 10. Free education for all children in public schools. Abolition of children's factory labor in its present form. Combination of education with industrial production. Now, almost all of that sounds exactly like almost every single communist country, or what I should really say is communist dictatorship, considering that's exactly how every single of these dictatorships turn out every time Marxism, Leninism, Maoism, Socialism, Whatever else you want to call it, every single time it's implemented, it turns into a dictatorship and people die. Communism is responsible for 100 million deaths in the 20th century alone. I often hear the argument, I've heard it several times before, 
and I will continue to hear it as I rail against communism. It isn't real communism. It wasn't tried the right way. Here's the issue. For communism to work, whatever region it's being tried in has to agree upon it working. Not everyone is going to agree upon it. It's against human nature. It treats everyone the same. It makes everything bland. So there are always going to be people that fight back against it. What does that mean? That means that the people that fight back against it have to be eliminated for these powers to be put into place. For it to work properly, everyone who disagrees has to be murdered. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of utopia these people want, but personally, I don't want to live in a world where people who disagree with me have to be murdered for my world to be better. Personally, I'm against murder. I think most people are. I don't care how the other side looks. It's immoral to murder people. Communism is murder. Now, out of that list of 10, I could literally go through every single one of those and break down exactly the issues with all 10 of them. That would honestly eat up the rest of this episode and probably take one or two more. Plus, you don't want to get me started down that road. Maybe we'll tear it apart one day, but for the sake of this episode, I am going to talk about just one real quick, and it was the free education for children. That doesn't sound too bad, right? Free education for children? Who doesn't want the children educated? You'd have to be a monster. Well, I have an interesting clip from one of my favorite YouTube channels, Yushchenka Show. It's by a man, Sergei, who was born in the Soviet Union in 1971. Quite knowledgeable, I would say. He actually lived through it, came to the United States in the early 90s. And this is what he had to say about the free schooling. Comments, uh, the next freebie is free education. Well, here... I have to agree, yes, uh, in Soviet Union there was free education, but, there is always but, right? I mean, free education, it's kind of a wishy-washy statement. I live in the United States, and all my kids went to school, uh, middle school, high school. Uh, We never paid for that. It was technically free education too, right? Except, you know, everyone is paying property taxes that go into the paying for schools. So on that level... United States also has a free education. So the difference in education uh, between Soviet Union and United States starts at the higher education, right? So if you go to the trade schools like Technikum или PTU in Soviet Union, or you go to college, like institute and university back in the Soviet Union, yes, we didn't have to pay for it. And in fact, if you were a good student, you would get a stipend if you had good grades. So that was, of course, a huge difference. But meanwhile, uh, think about the United States. You also could get a free education, uh, free college in America. You just need to join military force, go Navy, go Marines, go Air Force. And uh, three to six years later, after you're done with your military service, you'll get a free college. So somewhat, there is a way to get free education in America as well. The difference that in Soviet Union, quite often after you're done with free college, then you need to spend three years. Uh, you'll get sent somewhere 
in the Soviet Union where they needed teacher or they need doctors. So in America, you pay your dues first. You go three years in military, then you get free college. In Soviet Union, you get free college, then you pay your dues and you work somewhere for three years. And it could be somewhere middle of nowhere, Siberia, some little town on the village where they needed a teacher. And before we move uh, to the next freebie, I want to mention that, uh, in my personal opinion, you shouldn't risk your life in order to get free college. You shouldn't get risk to get killed somewhere in Afghanistan or Iraq or who knows where just because you can't afford college. It's just my opinion. So it doesn't sound too different from our country, but here's the thing. You can also get scholarships in this country. You can get grants that you don't have to pay back. You have the terrible option of student loans. So you don't have to go into the military to get free schooling. You don't have to serve our government to be able to get schooling. It is definitely an option. It's an option that I know people personally that have taken that route. But it doesn't mean that it's a great option. Like he said at the end of that, you shouldn't have to risk your life just because you can't afford college. In this country, there are other routes to take. Also, I'll make sure to link this video and his channel in the episode description. Make sure and check it out. Give him lots of uh, likes and views. It's a really great channel. Super informative. And I'm actually hoping that I'll be able to get him on the podcast for an interview. Something that I think would be really great. Now, I would like to tie in last week's episode into this. Um, so the easiest way I can do this is tell you that things really aren't everything that you think they are. Like I said, you get lied to, you get manipulated. And there's a lot in this life that we might think that we have decided for ourselves, but there is just as much, if not more things that forced us to have a certain opinion or a certain view. And there are people out in the world actively trying to force these certain ideologies or views on you and other people. So without further ado, I will introduce you to Yuri Bezmenov. Mr. Bezmenov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is 
to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already uh, for the last 25 years. Actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., 
with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Munjibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking. Just, wow. Every time I listen to that, it sends chills down my spine. That interview was given in 1984. So that was 37 years ago. I don't know about you, but... I see a lot of modern parallels. I'll make sure and also link to that video in the episode description, along with another more in-depth interview that he did exactly how they execute these four different steps in a Marxist takeover. All very interesting, and I hope you'll end up watching it. You know, the thing that really irritates me the most is... I kind of talked about about this in, uh, wow, talk about tongue-tied. I talked about this in the first episode quite a bit, is that people will lie to you. And the thing that frustrates me the most as far as Marxism, socialism, especially socialism or democratic socialism, a lot of people tell me, well, they say they're going to do this, they're going to do that. We'll get free health care, free schooling, free this, free that. Well, what incentive do they actually have to fulfill these promises? What? Because they said these people who can't balance a budget are somehow going to run the medical, the entire medical industry. They can't balance a damn checkbook. The same people that can't balance the checkbook lie us into war, murder people, people on our soil, and other people's soil. These people, these people are going to be the ones that are going to give us all kinds of free stuff because they care about us. What fucking delusion do you have? You know, I, I would really love to live in a world where things could work in this utopian delusion. Well, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. But what I do know for a fact is none of these so-called promises will ever be fulfilled by some guy in a suit or woman in a suit standing up in front of everyone saying, if you'll just give me your vote, if you just give up your liberty, 
then I'll make sure to take care of you. I'm sorry. I don't want to be taken care of. Not to mention that's not their damn job. I have parents. I don't need a babysitter. I have friends and family to lean on. So I don't need anything from them. In fact, I would like less of them. I would like them to stay out of my wallet, stay out of my home, stay out of my future children's minds, the minds of children that are currently alive, going to school. I would like a little bit fucking less. And I'm not sorry about all these F-bombs either because I can't fucking stand these people that think that socialism, communism, or anything is actually going to work. These same people that have done nothing for you but steal your money, steal all of your rights, these people that murder people on a daily basis, people that have used the U.S. citizens as human test experiments, Tuskegee syphilis experiments, in case anybody wants to look that shit up. I, I can't take it. Seriously. You think these people are so trustworthy, they're going to follow through? What kind of mental gymnastics do you actually have to play with yourself every day, getting up thinking that that's actually going to fucking happen? It's it's sick. If If this is what you truly think, that these people are actually going to help, you need to look at yourself in the mirror, have a long, good, hard look, and reevaluate your life. Now, if it only affected you, I wouldn't care. But guess what? It affects me too. That's why I'm saying this. I have a damn opinion. Because your decision to vote these sons of bitches in actually has an effect on my life. And guess what? Newsflash. Like I said in the first episode, not everything revolves around you. I don't want to live that way. I know several people directly that do not want to live that way. If you want to go live that way, that's fine. Find other people that want to live that way and you go do it by yourselves. But leave me, my family, and my friends the fuck out of it. (sighs) I'll be right back. Okay, and I'm back. Went a little uh, Alex Jones there, wouldn't you say? I will eat your ass! (laughs) Starting to get a a little hyped. But honestly, the the whole communism thing, socialism, it's something I've dealt with for many years, and it, it really just gets me frustrated, especially nowadays. I see a lot of things happening that really speaks... Actually, I should say, it really reeks of totalitarian control, authoritarian control. And really, it is all about freedom or control. You're either free or you're a slave. Personally, I'm not going to be a slave. I will die on my feet before I live on my knees. And when other people have the power to be able to usher in my slavery or slavery of my loved ones, my friends, my family, then it really, really bothers me. It really strikes a chord. So 
forgive the uh, forwardness, but that's really where it comes from, and I'm sure you'll hear it again. Honestly, I'd really like to be able to, I don't know, talk some people out of believing in it or change their minds about it. I'm trying to avoid saying that I would like to save them. That's kind of how I view it, but it really is a destructive ideology. I I don't see any good that comes from it, and you don't have to look that far to be able to see the absolute destructive and terrible nature of Marxist, Leninist, Socialist, Maoist ideology. Like it's it's all really terrible. You you really don't have to look that far, and so it makes that all even more frustrating. For me, you can definitely plant seeds of truth and hope that somewhere along the way that that seed will sprout into something. But if somebody's pretty much set in their in their opinion, then it's it's definitely difficult. That's why I'm really looking forward to trying to get some people on um, for some interviews to be able to show a different perspective. People that actually live through some of these regimes, some of these dictatorships. I've sent out some emails, so as soon as I can get somebody on, I'll definitely uh, be announcing that. So I have a question. The Frankfurt School. Ever heard of it? Probably not. Well, the Frankfurt School, known more appropriately as critical theory, it was an institute that was originally located at the Institute for Social Research In Frankfurt, Germany, the Institute was founded in 1923 thanks to a donation by Felix Well with the aim of developing Marxist studies in Germany. After 1933, the Nazis forced its closure and the Institute was moved to the United States where it found hospitality at Columbia University in New York. Of course it was New York. Even today, the academic influence of the critical method is far-reaching. Critical theory provides a specific interpretation of Marx's philosophy with regards to some of its central economic and political notions. There were many prominent figures in the first, second, third generation of critical theorists spawning from this institution. But there are two that I would like to focus on for the sake of time. Uh, The first one, Max Horkheimer and Herbert Marcuse. So make sure and remember those two names. But first, I would like to read a little portion of this article that will be linked in the episode description. Uh, If you would like to know more about a lot of this, it really goes into depth. Really great article. But it kind of breaks down a little bit more. So, traditional theory, whether deductive or analytical, has always focused on coherency and on the strict distinction between theory and praxi. Along Cartesian lines, knowledge has been treated as grounded upon self-evident propositions, or at least upon propositions based on self-evident truth. Accordingly, Traditional theory has proceeded to explain facts by application of universal law. That is, by subsumption of a particular 
to a universal in order to either confirm or disconfirm this. A verificationist procedure of this kind was what positivism considered to be the best explanatory account for the notion of praxis in scientific investigation. If one were to defend the view according to which scientific truths should pass the test of empirical confirmation, then one would commit oneself to the idea of an objective world. Knowledge would be simply a mirror of reality. This view is firmly rejected by critical theorists. So basically, we have a certain way of being able to determine things, uh, determine what's right from wrong, what's correct, incorrect, and we have developed certain critical thinking skills, the scientific method, reasoning, logic, and we use these tools to be able to make sense of our world and to continue to get better. Like I said before, objective truth definitely exists in this world and trying to discover it not only for yourself but with groups of people is exactly how we improve and further the progression of humanity as a whole. Facts are facts. Opinions are not facts. Perception is not fact. I'm looking at you, flat earthers, directly. Sorry, earth is round. That's an objective truth discovered with the scientific method. The article goes on to say, under several aspects, what critical theory wants to reject in traditional theory is precisely this picture theory of language and knowledge. According to such a view, the logical form of propositions consists in showing a possible fact and in saying whether this is true or false. For example, the proposition, it rains today, shows both the possibility of the fact that it rains today, and it affirms that it is the case that it rains today. In order to check whether something is or is not the case, one must verify empirically whether the stated fact occurs or not. This implies that the condition of truth and falsehood presupposes an objective structure of the world. So really, what they're trying to point out here is that truth exists. There's a very specific way in finding this truth, and it's a truth that we all have to agree with because it's just that. It's the truth. It's true outside of ourselves, outside of our internal monologue. It's true for me, for you, and for everyone else in the world. So the idea of critical theory is to actually object to these standards and to the idea of objective truth entirely. Okay, maybe not 100% entirely, but it allows you to be able to pick and choose what truths you believe. Because if you can turn around and say, well, no, that's not how this was, then you were giving yourself the power to make up your entire world. To me personally, it sounds like a way to justify delusion. No, I don't agree with this. So I'm just going to say it's something different and you can't say otherwise. 
I'm going to use my college education to turn around and prove to you why you're wrong. While honestly, probably not saying anything at all. Goes on to say, Horkheimer and his followers rejected the notion of objectivity in knowledge by pointing, among other things, to the fact that the object of knowledge is itself embedded into a historical and social process. Quote, the facts which our senses present to us are socially performed in two ways, through the historical character of the object perceived and through the historical character of the perceiving organ, end quote. Further, with a rather Marxist twist, Horkheimer noticed also that phenomenological objectivity is a myth because it is dependent upon technological conditions, and the latter are sensitive to the material conditions of production. Critical theory aims thus to abandon naive concepts of knowledge impartiality, since intellectuals themselves are not disembodied entities observing from a god's viewpoint, knowledge can be obtained only from a societal embedded perspective of interdependent individuals. Critical theory characterizes itself as a method contrary to the fetishization of knowledge, one which considers knowledge as something rather functional, ideology critique, and social emancipation. In the light of such finalities, knowledge becomes social criticism, and the latter translates itself into social action, that is, into the transformation of reality. Critical theory has been strongly influenced by Hegel's notion of dialectics for the conciliation of socio-historical oppositions, as well as by Marx's theory of economy and society, and the limits of Hegel's bourgeois philosophy. Critical theory indeed has expanded Marxian criticisms of capitalist society by formulating patterns of social emancipatory strategies, whereas Hegel found that rationality had finally come to terms with reality with the birth of the modern nation-state, which in his eyes was the Persian state. Marx insisted on the necessity of reading the development of rationality through history in terms of a class struggle. The final stages of this struggle would have seen the political and economic empowerment of the proletariat. The starting point was the Marxian view on the relation between a system of production paralleled by a system of beliefs. Ideology, which according to Marx, was totally explicable through an underlying system of production for critical theorists had to be analyzed in its own respect and as a non-economically reducible form of expression of human rationality. Such a revision of Marxian categories became extremely crucial. Then, in the reinterpretation of the notion of dialectics for the analysts of capitalism, 
dialectics as a method of social criticism was interpreted as following from the contradictory nature of capitalism as a system of exploitation. Indeed, it was on the basis of such inherent contradictions that capitalism was seen to open up to a collective form of ownership of the means of production, namely socialism. So that was definitely a lot to digest. I don't expect anyone to listen to that just one time and understand every little thing. I had to actually read the article a couple of times. Once again, that will be linked down in the episode description, so don't forget to check that out. So all of this is really looking at the world, deciding that that's just not how I see it, so I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell everyone that everything that they have been taught is a lie, and I'm going to show them how, why, and you just better believe me. Honestly, the idea of critical theory criticizing the powers that be, of course that should be a thing. I agree with the concept of being able to question everything that we have been told. I mean, that's partially why I'm here talking talking to you. I am also a free speech absolutist and believe that anyone can literally say anything. It I, There's no restrictions on it at all. Aside from literally calling for direct violence, I don't see an issue with any type of speech at all, even if I don't like it. Uh, I definitely don't like any sort of Marxist or Marxist-based philosophy or rhetoric, ideology, anything. It's, it's terrible, and it's all been debunked. However, if anyone wants to believe in it, they have the right to also preach about it, too. Uh, doesn't mean I have to listen. Doesn't mean I have to sit there and let you speak all these just falsehoods. So just for anybody who's listening who isn't 100% up on all of these terms and everything, Karl Marx had a criticism of society as a whole, um, particularly a capitalist society, but he viewed the world through a class structure. You had the bourgeoisie, the rich, and you had the proletariat, which were the workers, which then led to the absolutely insane labor theory of value, which basically tried to push the idea that the only reason anything has value is due to labor, which right there should show anyone who's ever owned a business knows that that's exactly not true at all. That is just so absurd. The only reason that anything is of value is because of labor. It's just, it's not true. And then he goes on with this, trying to promote the idea that any business owner is just exploiting their workers to gain more money. Also, insanely ridiculous, at least in a capitalist society, a true free market, not crony capitalism, not 
state-sponsored business. No, in a true free market, that is not true. We'll definitely be getting into these things in a future episode, start breaking down what I had just said. So look forward to that. So basically, the Frankfurt School were able to take the Marxist criticism of labor, the class struggle, and they were able to apply it to all other aspects of society and culture, which led to what you've probably been thinking this whole time is critical race theory. It's been in the news. It's the most prominent form of critical theory that is being talked about all over the place. Herbert Marcuse, I mentioned him earlier. He is credited with hatching the critical theory ideology from which the racial, gender, and other critical theory-based movements were launched in America. He is best known for attempting to explain why the so-called proletariat workers in the United States and elsewhere have not risen up to overthrow the capitalist system of the ruling bourgeoisie. In 1965, he released a paper called Repressive Tolerance. The essay examines the idea of tolerance in our advanced industrial society. The conclusion reached is that the rationalization of the objective of tolerance would call for intolerance towards prevailing policies, attitudes, opinions, and the extension of tolerance to policies, attitudes, and opinions which were outlawed or suppressed. What is proclaimed and practiced as tolerance today is in many of its most effective manifestations serving the cause of oppression. His words from the paper I had previously mentioned. For Marcuse, Tolerance is actually a ploy instituted by the powerful and conniving forces of the bourgeoisie against the unsuspecting proletariat in which the masses are duped and programmed to support their oppressors. In short, tolerance is used to suppress the people. At least, that's what he claims. He's basically saying that in a non-Marxist, non-revolutionary society, those people are too senseless or too stupid to realize that they are oppressed and their existence is at the service of the rich and powerful who control the society. Apparently, that's the only thing or the only reason why anything gets done. The only reason that anyone gets up and goes to work, the only reason for anything. It's just because we are oppressed. We've been oppressed by super rich people and they steal from us and we're just even too stupid to know it. I didn't realize myself and everyone else were that stupid. It's quite impressive. (laughs) What a joke. So through the dialect of Marcuse, He was actually trying to promote a violent overthrow of American society because in his mind, the established hierarchy was using tolerance to perpetuate 
oppression against minorities. So what about CRT, critical race theory? Critical race theory is a poison on the American idea as a whole. Now, I would like to just make one little side note right this minute before I go any further. I would like to acknowledge the fact that terrible things have happened to people of all races in this country. There is no running away from that. That is objective truth. These things do need to be discussed historically. They need to be taught. They need to be talked about. However, the issue I have with critical race theory is incredibly insidious and racist based upon Marxist ideology, and it's spreading through this country faster than wildfire. Too soon for the uh, wildfire? Okay, sorry. Anyways, so a couple of notes to make about critical race theory. It tries to make its way around our society through the idea of tolerance. I mentioned in the first episode that euphemisms are a real big deal. In this episode, I talked about how these founders of the Frankfurt School, especially Marcuse, actually use the idea of tolerance to be able to manipulate people to usher in violent overthrowing of certain norms in society. Marxist, honestly, there's a lot of issues. And one of my biggest issues is their outlook on life. The way that they view the world. There are only two kinds of different people. The oppressed and the oppressors. That's it. Critical race theory is pushing the idea that we are too stupid to see how we have been brainwashed into the actual reality, their actual reality, and that the idea that the oppressed are impeding revolution when they adhere to the cultural beliefs of these oppressors, and to be able to free us, we must go through re-education sessions. They push the idea that we need to dismantle every social norm in this country through relentless criticism and the replacement of all systems of power, and even the descriptions of those systems with a worldview that describes only oppressors and oppressed. Well, I'm going to leave you with my final thoughts on this. It's already a much longer episode than I anticipated, but there's a lot of information to pack into this, and just like almost every subject that I will end up covering on this podcast, there just can't be one episode. There's not enough time. Also, I don't want to end up doing three, five-hour-long episodes. Well, maybe one day. Maybe I'll have a couple. I don't know. But I want to try and keep these a little bit shorter, more digestible. So really, what's my conclusion? My conclusion starts with the fact that we are being oppressed through the form of lies in manipulated language. The people who are doing the oppressing are the people who are coming up to anyone saying, you are doing terrible in life, and the reason you are doing that is because somebody is holding you down. 
Somebody is holding you back. You are being oppressed. Yeah, well, guess what? Lenin said the same thing to the people that followed him before the Russian Revolution. Mao said the same thing to his countrymen and women that followed him. Castro, Che Guevara, same thing. Pol Pot, exact same thing. Hitler and his goons. That's exactly what they said. It's classic divide and conquer. That's really all it is. You create groups and then separate each group based upon whatever you want. It's really up to you. It's the tactics of evil men. Now, I would like to say this one last time just to send the point home. I am not claiming that racism anywhere in the world doesn't exist. Racism definitely does exist. It has existed. Right now, as you are listening to this, there's still slavery in parts of the world. So my criticism of CRT is not because I'm racist. I can't believe I actually have to say that. But anybody who does criticize it is called a racist. Once again, manipulation through language. What I am critical of is divide and conquer. What I'm critical of is totalitarian control. What I am critical of is anybody who tries to trample on my goddamn rights. And it's beyond heartbreaking to see so many people falling for this. Because it's not just my rights, it's your rights. It's everyone's rights. Communism, socialism, none of it's the answer. It won't set you free. It will enslave us, kill us, starve us, and take away everything from us that we hold dear. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Rise to Liberty podcast. It really means the world to me. If you could take a minute and rate and review the show on any platform that allows you to, that actually helps the show quite a bit. It makes us more discoverable through the algorithm. Also, don't forget to listen to the very, very end of the episode after the music's done playing. There will be some news updates, all kinds of fun stuff right at the end, just for a few minutes. And until next time, stay free, my friends. Hey everyone, thanks for listening on this part of Rise to Liberty podcast. A big thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, You're literally the reason I'm doing it. Also, don't forget to click the Linktree link in the show description. That will take you to my website, risetoliberty.com. Also, it will take you to any of my social medias and any way that you can support the show. Which brings me to the first biggest announcement. We finally have a merch store. We only have a couple of different designs in there right now. I tried to get them as reasonably priced as I possibly could. So if you could go there, check them out. Um, There's only, like I said, a couple of designs, but there will be more coming, uh, coming fairly soon. 
Also, feel free to stop by my Buy Me a Coffee page. Drop me a couple of bucks to help support the show. And if you can't, I totally get it. Just spread the show to anybody. Anybody you think would like it, anyone you think would find it interesting, or people that wouldn't, let them listen to it too. Let them write in and maybe we can get some debates for the future. Next, I would like to point out that when I recorded the first episode, it was actually right before a book came out that I didn't realize was coming out when I was recording it. However, I would like to put a little plug for it, not that I get anything for it or that Michael Knowles will ever even hear this, but he just released a book called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. I haven't been able to get a copy quite yet. Um, It's been flying off the shelves. It's got an extremely high rating. Just pretty much get it on Amazon. But as far as the name for my first episode and the name of the book, it was kind of coincidental, especially because I said that hardly anyone's talking about it. And here comes Michael Knowles with this book that's been getting massive attention, great ratings and everything. Next week on Rise to Liberty podcast, I will be covering the first of many episodes about free speech. What does it mean to me? What does it mean to others? Can it go too far? I mean, a lot of these questions have already been answered, but I'm throwing my spin on it. So make sure and catch that next Monday. Last thing before I go, I would like to say I am going to be doing a special bonus episode. They are going to be a lot more informal, a lot shorter, and not going to come out weekly, possibly twice a month, once a month, pretty much is when I can not have the extra workload take me down. Those will be dropped on Wednesdays or Thursdays. So make sure and keep an eye out. I will be making an announcement. The first one should be coming out this week. Keep an eye on my social. I might have to push it till next week, but it will be coming here soon. And that's it for me. Until next week. Give your balls a tug, you tit fucker.